well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with us on the program today. We're going to be taking a look at uh, one of the lawsuits, one of the latest lawsuits filed in New York with uh, Peter Tillum, who is the attorney representing these uh, named plaintiffs and... I will say that uh, Peter's hoping to have more plaintiffs added to this lawsuit because uh, he is seeking a class action status for this uh, litigation, which challenges not only the uh, lengthy delays in terms of processing both concealed carry applications as well as premises permits in New York City, uh, but also additionally, the lack of reciprocity in New York City. So if you are a resident of... Utica, New York, and you possess a concealed carry license, you can carry anywhere in the, well, (laughs) you can carry in any non-sensitive place in the state of New York, except for New York City. Yeah, because New York City has its own carry licenses, and they don't recognize anybody else's, not even those from other counties in New York. So when we talk about uh, the Second Amendment being the only right, according to the courts anyway right now, that stop it at the state line, In New York, it's even worse than that. Your Second Amendment rights disappear when you cross into the five boroughs unless you live in New York City itself. And again, you're able to navigate the maze of red tape that the city puts in place in order for you to exercise your fundamental right to keep and bear arms. This is an untenable status quo. And I'm glad to see that this is being challenged. Take a look and listen to our conversation with Peter Tillum about the New York laws in question and uh, why he believes the time is ripe to see them overturned. Peter, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, And first of all, uh, thank you for your involvement in this particular litigation. Well, first of all, thank you. Um, I'm honored to be on your show, and thank you for everything that you do for our community, the Second Amendment community. But uh, yes, I believe this is a very, very important lawsuit. I I do, too. Um, You know, the... The 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 fact is that none of our constitutionally protected rights stop at our state line. Right. When, when I, I live in Virginia, but if I were to go visit you in New York, I wouldn't lose my First Amendment rights. I wouldn't lose my Fourth Amendment rights. And yet in New York, not only does the Second Amendment stop at the state border, it stops it, depending on what county you live in. Right. Uh, because New York City does not recognize out of county permits or out of the borough permits, right? If you live in Utica and you've got a carry license, you can't carry in New York City. That's correct. You need a license issued by New York City, even if you have a New York State license that's good in in all the other counties of New York, you cannot carry your gun in New York City. New York City does not accept the gun licenses of uh, any other state, any other territory. And part of the allegation we make in our lawsuit is that New York chooses, New York City chooses to accept the driver's licenses of every other state, every other territory, and probably every other country. And yet, if you come from Westchester County, which is where I am right now, and which borders on New York City, and have a license signed by a a county court judge up here, your license is not good just a couple miles away in the Bronx. That is absolutely insane. Uh, and I, you know, I, I'm very curious to see, based on the Bruin decision, the uh, the city's response here, the 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 historic analogs that uh, that they come up with or are able to come up with, because 
Peter, I don't think there there really is anything in the historic record that would show that these types of policies are are longstanding and compatible with our right to keep and bear arms. I agree with you. And you have to look at New York state law overall, because New York state is unique in that you cannot touch a handgun in the state of New York without a license to possess a firearm. So what that means is you can't go to to a local gun store and pick up a gun. You'd be committing a felony. You can't go to the gun range with your friend and shoot a gun. They can't rent you a gun because you'd be committing a felony. So one of our plaintiffs moved across the river from New Jersey to New York, not something I recommend doing. Uh, I don't recommend that anyone moves to New York, but uh, but they moved to New This person moved to New York with guns that he lawfully possessed. He's been waiting about a year and a half. And you mentioned checking your constitutional rights at state borders. Here's a person. Could you imagine if they told the person moving to New York State that you have to wait a year and a half till you can get your First Amendment rights back? This person had to check his guns, had to leave his guns in New Jersey, had to essentially check them and cannot possess a gun. We've been going on a year and a half and he's no closer to getting his his license than he was a year and a half ago when he signed it. Actually, I shouldn't say that because now that the lawsuit was filed, things are starting to percolate, not surprisingly. Yeah, which which is another issue entirely, right? Because we we've seen this before. In fact, the state of New York tried to moot uh, a challenge to uh, to its traveling laws, right? By uh, by changing them after the Supreme Court had granted cert in that case, uh, and, and I guess you know we're successful in mooting that particular issue. Well, but this isn't how absolutely this is not how rights are respected. This is not how a shall issue system is supposed to work, where you've got to hire an attorney and file suit in order for the system to get moving. Doesn't the, does the state of New York set a deadline for these departments to follow? Like when somebody submits their application, do they have to get it approved within, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, six months, or does the state just give six months, which I got to tell you, it's a lot of time anyway. It's a lot of time anyway, but New York and, and the statute says the New York state statute says they have to notify you of the reason why they can't get it done within six months. But New York just totally ignores that deadline. There's no teeth in that statute that basically says there's any penalty. So the, the, the remedy is to hire an attorney and make them give you an answer, which would probably be another six months of litigation. So you're probably talking about a year if everything goes very smoothly. You know, and this is this is happening, it sounds like, to almost every applicant. Um, one of your plaintiffs uh, is a former assistant DA in New York County, former assistant AG with the New York AG's office, right? So this is this is not your your average Joe, right? This is somebody who, even in a May issue system, it's this is the type of guy who gets the permits, uh, you know, who who knows the right people, who's got the right credentials, and yet He's still waiting. He's still caught in this limbo because the state or the city in this case uh, is not acting uh, with due diligence in processing this application. Well, and that was another point of our uh, lawsuit is that we're not talking about close calls here, right? We're talking about one of the name plaintiffs is a federal firearms licensee who has licenses in a lot of states, including tough states, Maryland, Massachusetts, States that are hard to get. Uh, he is a, a firearms instructor. This should not be a close call. He should get this. There's no reason for any delay. There's nothing that needs to be looked at further. 
the other the other plaintiff, as you mentioned, the other named plaintiff on that aspect of the lawsuit also. This is a lawyer, a prominent lawyer in the community who was a prosecutor, both in the uh, Manhattan DA's office and in the uh, New York State Attorney General's office. There shouldn't be any close calls here. And what we've asked the court to do, because we know New York's uh, playbook by now, we've seen them do this uh, time and time again. First of all, they're going to try to argue standing. And second of all, they're going to try to uh, moot the case. What we've done is we've filed this as a class action lawsuit. So even if they give the licenses to these two individuals, we believe there are thousands of people standing behind them who have been waiting more than the six months New York requires, who have not heard anything from the New York City License Division. So given that this is a class action lawsuit, are you looking, are you actively looking for additional plaintiffs? Have you heard from any of those folks that, uh, that you believe uh, have been subjected to these needless delays? Yes. After we filed the lawsuit, we heard from a, a numerous people who have been waiting, some of them more than two years. Oh. Uh, we, when, when you file a class action, what happens is if the court agrees to certify this as a class, people who we will identify those people who fit into the class. And we intend to identify those people from the records of the defendants that we sued in this case from the New York City Police Department. From their records, I want to know everyone with a clean record that's been waiting more than two years. I'm sorry, waiting more than six months. And then we intend to notify them that they are part of the lawsuit unless they opt out. OK, OK. Um, and, and and how early on uh, in this uh, legal fight will the court make that determination uh, as to whether or not to, uh, to to proceed with this class action? Well, it's hard to know because we don't know how New York is going to respond exactly. Okay. Uh, they may try to make a motion to dismiss it uh, before they even answer the complaint, or they may uh, just simply answer the complaint. So uh, it's difficult to tell at this point. I don't even know that the lawsuit has been served on them. They're certainly aware of it. Okay. All right. Now, now one of the other things that you're asking for is the appointment of basically a federal master, right, to oversee the NYPD Licensing Bureau. Uh, and you point out, rightfully, the corruption uh, that uh, was, you know, widely reported on uh, 2016, 2017, 2018, where, you know, guys were basically, it, it, it was, you know, pay to play, right? If you gave a licensing officer cash or prizes uh, or, or even a third party. You could there were there were third parties you could go to and say, "Hey, can you grease the wheels for me?" Oh yeah, sure, no problem. I'm, I'll be your fixer. It, it, you know, clearly these types of abuses I think were fostered under the May issue system. I'm sure that New York is going to argue, "Well, hey, listen, now that it shall issue and our discretion has been removed, uh, this type of corruption can't happen." But are you seeing evidence, Peter, that there is still some? Uh, hinky stuff going on in the licensing department when it comes to uh, beyond these delays. Uh, but when it comes to the actual issuing of licenses. Look, New York state immediately after Bruin passed something that they called the, the concealed carry improvement act. And I have to laugh <laughs> as, uh, I, as I say those words. And this was supposedly to improve concealed carry which basically meant that we were going to make it harder to get a gun license. So you would think that shall issue means shall issue. That's certainly what New York State said. I'm sorry, that's certainly what Bruin said. New York State said, wait a second. Bruin really told us we couldn't make a requirement that you needed to show a special need. But 
the way the state interpreted it, we could still look at person's moral character. And so they enhanced the definition of moral character in the Concealed Carry Improvement Act. So New York City, for example, looks at things like your driving record and will disqualify people based upon dismissed arrests and a history of arrests that go nowhere with no convictions. People are getting denied every day in New York City based upon the discretion of the licensing division. Now, they won't admit that. They're going to say, well, wait a second, you know, these are people that have arrests or people that have had suspensions of their driver's license. And what I'm telling you is that when the Supreme Court said we don't have a problem with shall issue, what they envisioned were systems like Florida has in place, Mm -hmm. where you get the license within 15 or 20 days. It's handled by a bureaucrat. I believe it's the Department of Agriculture or something like that. It's not handled by law enforcement. And unless you are federally prohibited, you are getting that gun license. Well, New York wants to... Part of the Concealed Carry Improvement Act is that they look at your social media accounts. Right. They do a personal interview with you. That's a new requirement of the Concealed Carry Improvement Act. So you tell me why, if it's shall issue, they need to see what you're posting on social media or why they need to meet you in person. So I don't care what they call it. The bottom line of it is New York City and New York State are still retaining tremendous amounts of discretion in how and when they issue licenses. They've also proven over decades, maybe over a century, that they are not willing to allow people to exercise their Second Amendment rights. And so what I'm saying is they're not going to do this voluntarily. They've shown that repeatedly that they're not going to do this voluntarily. We need a federal monitor to come in and make sure that they're in compliance with the constitutional rights of its citizens. I gotta say, I would love to see it. I, I really would. Uh, and I hope that you're successful in this because, you know, as you and I were talking before I hit the record button, in a lot of ways, things are worse now in New York than they were before Bruin, not because of the Supreme Court, but because of the uh, uh, New York's refusal to acknowledge that we are, in fact, talking about a fundamental uh, civil right uh, of, you know, millions of New Yorkers. I I think that's right. I I think in many ways it is a lot worse. It became a lot worse for a lot of people because what happened was uh, New York State was pretty good with concealed carry licenses when you got out of New York City. And so a lot of people had concealed concealed carry licenses in New York State and were allowed to carry those guns virtually every place. Well, part of the Concealed Carry Improvement Act was creating a list of what they called sensitive places Mm -hmm. and restricted places, which are places you cannot carry. Those places were designed, were added to make sure that when you left your house, you knew that there was no way you were going to bring a gun and have it with with you throughout the day. And they even made it a crime to keep it, uh, to keep the gun in your car. If you have the gun with you, you weren't allowed to keep it in your car unless you had a safe. So the idea was, let's make it as hard for people as possible to be able to carry those guns. We'll give them the licenses because the Supreme Court said we have to, but we're going to make sure that if we give those licenses, there's no place to carry. Yeah. And we'll only give those licenses again in some jurisdictions after, uh, you know, making people jump through all of these uh, egregiously unconstitutional hoops and hurdles. And, you know, as you say, this hostility towards the right to keep your arms is nothing new, right? I mean, we have seen this in New York uh, for decades at the very least. Um, 
And it's led to some really weird and somewhat contradictory positions, Peter. You know, there was uh, the point where we now see, you know, gun control activists demanding that gun owners uh, carry liability insurance, right? You, you must have this insurance policy or you can't own a gun. But New York also banned the issuing of or, or the participation in basically self-defense insurance, right? So you're not allowed, if you're a gun owner, to uh, to purchase an insurance policy that uh, might protect you uh, if you are arrested or charged with a crime related to uh, an act of self-defense. But you must carry liability insurance if you're a gun owner in other states. Can you talk about that weird dichotomy and how you have actually kind of figured out a way to help gun owners in New York get around that particular anti-gun act? Absolutely. Well, you're 100% right. I mean, it is really mind-boggling that uh, Governor Cuomo threw uh, all these companies, USCCA, CCW Save, U.S. Law Shield out of New York, said they were selling murder insurance and would not allow them to sell insurance in New York. And those companies to this day are not permitted to sell insurance to New Yorkers. If you live in, if you live outside New York, they can sell you insurance and you're covered in New York. But if you live in New York, you're really, pardon my French, but out of luck. Uh, it's a bad situation uh, for New Yorkers. Now, we found we found a workaround, uh, which I could talk about. But now you have these anti-gunners who came up with this concept. Oh, let's really stick it to the gun owners. We're not going to let them have the insurance that they want. We're going to make them buy insurance that they don't want, that they don't need, and probably is not available. Right. And so that's just part of the overall process of trying to make gun ownership and gun possession as unattainable for the average person as possible. Now, what we did was we started something called uh, NY TAC Defense, New York TAC Defense. It's nytacdefense.com. And what we did was I was really angry when they threw these companies out of New York. We rewrote the plan. We kind of tore it up and, and restructured it. And now we did it for New Yorkers as a prepaid, prepaid legal plan. Pretty much the same price points. We provide up to a quarter of a million dollars of self-defense, criminal defense coverage for someone involved in a self-defense incident with a lawful weapon. There's a whole bunch of other benefits that we can give actually that the insurance companies can't because what you're doing is you're prepaying my legal fees. You're prepaying uh, <clears throat> your retainer in the event that you're involved in a self-defense incident. We charge about $38 a month, it comes out cheaper if you buy an annual plan, it's $385 for the entire year. And you're essentially retaining my law firm, which means that it's one call. If God forbid you're involved in a self-defense incident, you've already retained us. We will respond and we will start the representation right away. So I'm very proud of that because, you know, I think gun owners in New York deserve better than what they've been getting from the government here in New York State. Boy, that is definitely the truth. Uh, and, and Peter, I'm glad that uh, you're out there fighting the good fight for gun owners. Uh, and, and I really look forward to having you back on the program. I, I would love to continue this discussion. Um, you said that you're not sure the state's been served yet. They'll have 30 days to respond after they uh, after they uh, are served. So it may be a month or a little bit more than a month before we actually see what the uh, city of New York has to say. But I would love to have you back. Uh, when there are updates on this case. And if you hear of, you know, again, any more egregious violations of uh, folks' constitutional rights, please let us know, because we'd love to have you back even sooner. I appreciate it. Love coming on the show. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for all you do, sir. I look forward to talking to you again soon. I appreciate Peter joining us on the program. Looking forward to talking to him again very soon. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story. 
Our good deed of the day and our recidivist report will start there with, uh, I got to tell you, a very disturbing and upsetting story from Milwaukee, where a 12-year-old was recently killed uh, in a shooting at a birthday party, basically. Killed over his designer glasses, allegedly by a 17-year-old. Prosecutors have charged 17-year-old Lawrence Griffin with the death of Ron L. Smith during, uh, again, that birthday party at the Bug and Out Lounge in West Allis, Wisconsin, back on February 25th. Griffin made his first appearance in court over the weekend. Cash bond set at $250,000. He is accused right now of first-degree intentional homicide, use of a dangerous weapon, first-degree recklessly endangering safety, use of a dangerous weapon, and possession of a firearm by a felon. That's right. 17 years old and already a convicted felon. The owner of the uh, Buggin' Out Lounge says that the shooting happened during a 17-year-old girl's birthday celebration in a uh, party hall upstairs, a separate venue from the uh, lounge itself. Prosecutors say the shooting happened after uh, Lawrence Griffin allegedly tried to take Ron L. Smith's designer glasses. There was apparently a uh, confrontation. At one point, Griffin pulled out a gun then chased the 12-year-old before firing that gun. He said the 12-year-old died at the scene and Griffin ran off. On March the 3rd, according to prosecutors, uh, an unrelated police chase ended with officers arresting Griffin and recovering a gun. Prosecutors say the gun matched the weapon used in the West Dallas shooting. The uh, prosecutor, Thomas Hasley, says that the uh, 17-year-old, quote, has a significant record, was on felony probation at the time of this alleged offense. He has four adult convictions, six adult read-in convictions, six juvenile adjudications. If convicted now, this most serious charge, Griffin could be sentenced to life in prison. Question that I have is how does a 17-year-old rack up four adult convictions, including felony convictions, and yet this 17-year-old is out on the streets? He's not in juvenile detention. You know, the whole point we're told of the juvenile justice system is rehabilitation. Well, if, if the system had determined that this guy was not rehabilitated or was not re- not able to be rehabilitated, then he needed to be kept behind bars. And if the system had not determined that he was uh, unsuitable for rehabilitation, well, the case could be made that he still should have been behind bars so he could get these services and the help that he needed. Because clearly the system isn't working. When you've got a 17-year-old repeat offender on felony probation, illegally arming himself with a fireman, allegedly using that gun to kill a 12-year-old boy over a pair of glasses. Something screwed up here. And another gun control law is not going to make a difference. We need some serious and systemic reform in our criminal justice system, not in terms of putting violent criminals back out on the streets, but again, ensuring that there are consequences for adult and juvenile offenders. And again, rehabilitation whenever appropriate, But if it's not appropriate, well, then again, that's when incarceration comes into play. And if that had happened, maybe this 12-year-old would be alive today. Today's Armed Citizen Story, Battle Creek, Michigan, where police say the uh, victim in a uh, shooting actually uh, acted in self-defense when somebody uh, came into his apartment. This was uh, last Wednesday, about 940 in the evening. The uh, Georgetown Estates Apartment, a uh, man identified as Donald Guthrie, 
According to police, uh, forced his way into the apartment of a 40-year-old man and was then shot. Police responded to a distress call from the apartment complex and found Guthrie when they arrived. He was taken to a uh, hospital in Kalamazoo, but later passed away. Um, as of latest reports, it appears the victim acted in self-defense. Police say the case is expected to be sent to the Cowan County Prosecuting Office for attorney or for review. Uh, but uh, at this point, no charges expected to be filed, at least not by uh, law enforcement. We'll keep an eye on any updates to that story, bring them to you as they become available. Finally today, and I got to say, <laughs> it was not a struggle for me to find an armed citizen story. It was not, it's never a struggle for me to find a recidivist report, unfortunately. But man, I was really struggling to find a good deed of the day today. I don't know what is going on. Either the media is not picking up on these stories or we're not looking out for each other the way we should. But uh, whew, I got to tell you, if you run across uh, a good deed of the day story, please send it my way because uh, the, the, the evidence that we're looking out for each other is scant at the moment. But we did find this story from uh, Shelby, Alabama where a neighbor in the right place at the right time, willing to do the right thing, able to uh, save a woman from a house fire last week. Um, pretty scary stuff, honestly, but uh, I'm glad that everybody is okay. David Van Oy, who is the uh, assistant fire chief for the Shelby Fire and Rescue, says the uh, neighbor called 911 and kicked the door open after he spotted smoke from his neighbor's house. He was just getting up, going on his way to work. And saw the smoke again pouring out of his neighbor's home, so he ran over there. Uh, apparently, there was too much smoke for him to enter the home, but uh, thankfully, again, he had already alerted authorities. Uh, David Van Oy says the fire department on scene at 7.02 a.m. met with heavy smoke conditions. They found a 55-year-old female unconscious in the laundry room. She was uh, rescued and transported to a local hospital, uh, eventually airlifted to the uh, burn unit at uh, Duke University Hospital, uh, where she's being treated for burns as well as carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, police say they believe the fire started from an appliance in the kitchen. They say it was contained within six minutes or so. Uh, but again, if it were not for the quick thinking of that neighbor to alert authorities and again to try to get inside, I mean, those extra three or four minutes may have been the difference between life or death for that woman. So I wish we knew the name of the neighbors. We could thank him in person, uh, or at least to thank him by name. But uh, that anonymous Good Samaritan in uh, Shelby, Alabama, we thank you for your very, very good deed. And fortunately, that is all the time we've got for you in this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, I would also encourage you to check out the website, bearingarms.com. Throughout the day, we're going to keep you up to date on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information. And it is a very busy time between all of the court cases we got going on, legislative sessions. It's the last week of the session in New Mexico. We are uh, eyeing some of the gun control bills that have been making progress. We'll see if uh, Governor Michelle Luan Grisham is able to get her so-called assault weapons ban across the uh, finish line right now. Doesn't look that great for the governor, but uh, we'll see. And hopefully gun owners are still applying pressure to lawmakers. I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member at BarryAndArms.com. Just use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. We're going to give you exclusive content, news stories, analysis you won't find anywhere else because your support does matter and it really does make a difference. So thank you again. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well. Be safe. And yes, be free. <laughs>